Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. It's time. Get ready for some awesome. Do you, do you think you'll ever get tired of doing that? No, I. It's a. It's a. Uh, a way of mocking. Hmm. You punching up subtly. So yeah, no, that's never going to get. Is old. that your resistance? Like you're you're fighting against. <laughs> it's drug. <laughs> Well, welcome back to the January wrap-up, friends. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm glad that you've joined me and my wonderful co-worker, side friend, partner, I don't want to say... Did you almost say sidekick? Yeah, sidekick. I refuse to be your sidekick. That's a nice thing. Yeah. What were the other options? Mentee? (laughs) Understudy? (laughs) What? <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah, a long line of people <laughs> for that role. <laughs> Please teach me everything that you know. You know, it's funny. It's, it seems like the opposite has occurred because I made a complete Jonathan Stormont move um, a couple weeks ago in the airport. I uh, I was in the Atlanta airport and it was late, like a eight or nine o'clock at night, and I'm with. Um, I was with Adlin, my five-year-old, and we're in the P.F. Chang's at the uh, airport in Atlanta. Have you been to the P.F. Chang's in the Atlanta airport? No, we get money to the poor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Jonathan, when we've flown together, most of the time, you go sit in first class. So don't... <laughs> I get credit for free. I've never paid for first class. Okay, well... And I think they just... That, that's something about character-based. <laughs> when they scan the tickets, they're like, oh, the, this jerk needs to be mm. in the... You're by the bathroom, aren't you? Aren't you normally like in the I, rear by the bathroom? I'm just there to help whatever way I can. It's like the Pope rides mm-hmm. in a normal car. I sit in coach. You know, whatever you do. I mean, you and I guess your equivalent would be um, Creflo Dollar. I mean, y- you guys are riding luxury. <laughs> yep, me and Creflo. That, that's a, a category I get lumped into often. Yep. So there I was uh, in the airport and... We're finishing up our our meal, and the people in the booth right behind us uh, sit down, and they have an Australian accent. And blood in the water. Blood in the water. And so I'm about to like text uh, my friend Paul and say, "Hey, these people are Australian next to me. Do you know them?" Thinking it would be, <laughs> it would be funny. And then I I listen, and one of them says something about like. Hillsong and over here in the States, I'm like, oh no, like they might actually know Hills. And then I was like, Adeline was sitting next, we're doing the same side thing, which I usually don't do, but with my daughter, I'll same side it because that's not creepy. You could decide same side it with me, like restaurants. Well, again, like you're my child. That's why it's the same thing. I have to cut up your food. (laughs) Makes sense. And so I'm looking and I realize that the girl. you tried to call Britney Spears? You tried to call Britney Spears? Sorry about what? that. It feels like a car <laughs> So I'm looking and I realize I've seen this girl before and she sings with Joel Houston in his new song for Hillsong. And like I rec- and so I asked, like I text Paul and I go, okay, this is kind of stupid because I was going to make this joke, but then I really think this is someone who sings for Hillsong. And he texts me a picture of who I think it is and he goes, yeah, that, that's Scott and that, that, that's Brooke. And I was like, that that's... 
that's totally them. That's Brooke who sings with, with Joel. And he's like, well, go introduce yourself to her. I'm like, oh, well, I, I mean, I, that's kind of weird, but I guess I will. And so I walk over and I walk over to him and I'm like, hey, uh, um, and I didn't know what to say. Like I just made, uh, uh, I, I, um, I, I was sitting and I'm friends with Paul and, and I like your, your singing's real nice looking. It's real nice looking singing. And I, I was just like, I, I need to walk away as soon as I could. And the worst part is just as I'm about to walk over, Adeline says, let's leave. And I said, no, we're going to go talk to those people. And so she points, she goes, we're going to talk to those people over there. And he, he sees me and I'm like, hey, That's hey man. So anyway, um, so for the record, uh, if anyone who's a... Did you not think about having like mutual friends? I tried or? to get into that. And I was like, my friend Paul, oh yeah, I know Paul. and But I... I, I didn't like. I know Paul, uh, J- uh, J- Joel. He's a fr- friend of yours and, and mine. Like you. And then I said, "Yeah, you don't sing on the new album." And she goes, "Yeah, actually, I do sing on the new album." I, and I mean, I, I knew, like, I knew that, but like the. Uh, oh, jeez. I love it. I love it. It was whatever can humble you. I love it. It was like of all the things, like small talk. I feel like that's something that I should be mildly proficient in. But um, in Atlanta, Georgia, after eating PF Changs, I am clearly not up for that. I think those of us who spend time listening to your podcast could have seen that coming. <laughs> You're the worst. All right. Hey, you'll be happy to know that the church is still standing after the train wreck of a sermon that did. <laughs> January 1st. Oh. Thanks for they coming. They did say it was the best sermon they heard all year. but That's true. That is true. The, uh, your worship minister, Pastor Mike, Mike yeah. he... Um, he said, "So you don't you don't use notes?" And I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "I, I need to talk to Jonathan about that." And I go, "Yeah," but he doesn't want to work that hard on his sermons. So has he seen the notes? That's why you don't <laughs> use them. They're awful. Ugh. This gets pretty intramural pretty quick. But for those listening, he is the worst person for notes ever. If you're ever gonna, you do Wade Hodges like a little weird Dreamweaver thing that he does mm-hmm. for there. One of the uh, people who does the sign language translation at our church, actually, I send her my notes on Thursdays, and um, she started taking them to the students that te- she teaches sign language and trying to make them decipher my notes and how it's <laughs> translated. So, yeah, it's... Um, I think of one sign language that I would use when I saw your notes. <laughs> what, what is that? What? Do my... <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, Jonathan, I'm glad that Highland's still standing. It was great being there. Mm-hmm. Some good people who really, for some reason, tolerate you. I don't know why. And they, yeah, people like you for some oh. reason. And I also don't know Did why. they say, like, who they liked more? Oh, no. I mean, it's not... The like is a strong word for what they do for you. I mean, I mean the... What's what's between tolerate and like? You. That, you that's where you are. <laughs> <laughs> that's the storming zone. Well, we've got some podcasts to talk about. We've got some spiral dynamics to discuss, some um, some cancer jokes to make, I guess, um, in honor of Jason or Shelley. Uh, we've got um, the story of God, a little podcast talking about the old uh, Morgan Freeman show, James Young. Yeah, I'm surprised I couldn't get Morgan Freeman. I, act, I actually had a, a group conference call they offered me, and I... Uh, with Morgan Freeman, yeah. and you didn't well, take that. What was I going to do with that content? Like I, 
you just hear like the heavy breathing of some podcaster in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just any podcaster. First off, the voice of God, mm-hmm. Almighty, yeah. Shosh. I, I guess mean, I should have. It was during my, uh, I think it was during my Thursday lunch group. And so yeah. I chose to be with my church friends instead of Morgan Freeman uh, because I care about my church. I don't know if you could say that. Um, I, yeah. Rather you have chosen the other way. I did. Uh, I did see, like I tried to get a one-on-one and it, it didn't work out. And the guy who was connecting me uh, said, yeah, we just don't have that many spots. And then like literally like a few minutes, like a day later, I see on his Twitter, oh, this is so awesome. And it was Morgan Freeman and Rob Bell. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> you gave it to Rob over me. Um, yeah. I, I, I see the logic of that choice though, no. don't you? What is yeah. the logic in that? No, it's just, I mean, if you've got one spot for a podcast and you're looking out on the world of podcasters and there's this newsworthy with Norsworth, this vain cat picture up on there, looking I, all smug. Okay, so I did that uh, Trip Fuller's um, uh, Theology Beer Camp, and for like two days, the scrolling image on like, they had a couple of screens up front were like all the sponsors. And so the podcast, I guess we're in that, that loop. And so every like 90 seconds there, there was my big old face on like three big mm-hmm. screens. And I was like, this is bad. I don't like this at all. You just probably didn't stop looking away. Come on, come on now. There it is. Just kept your eyes. Peeled. And the, the, I guess the first podcast that we'll talk about is the one... <laughs> With um, Tim Keller's work, um, which is far more important than any mean thing you're going to say about my podcast logo. I've got plenty of material, no. though. You ever want to come no, back to I that? Don't think we, I, don't think, I don't think we really need to. So uh, I saw that you decided to do a blog in response to the podcast that I did already. And um, no. the myth of inclusion was your blog title uh, with a picture of you That's from right. 2007. Um so I actually wrote that like uh, over Christmas break as soon as I read that article with Keller. Hey, first off, what was your personal opinion on when you first read the Keller article before it was parsed and you know all the commentary came came out about it? What was your initial thought? Like overall, I mean, good. Like for for to I mean I'm nitpicking on it. like I think there are a few things that I would nuance different. But but we're talking sure. about the difference of you know what's a eighty five and a ninety five percent like that that we're talking about passable grades on things not about like wholesale rejection of it. I thought he had um, I mean he quotes Wright on resurrection, which of course you know I love N T Wright or as you call him Brother Tom. He had the great line about not wanting to contrast faith with skepticism, which I, mm-hmm. I really like that. Um, uh, I appreciate Keller's work integrating science and theology together. Um, knowing that as a foundation, his statement, uh, like he used someone else's line about, um, it's like insisting that if you're going to find your lost keys, they have to be under the one street light that's on because that's the only place you mm-hmm. can see. Like, I thought that was a really, like, that's a really good take. So uh, I, I think yeah. it, it's a conversation worth having to discuss some of the nuances of it. But overall, like, I thought it was, I thought it was solid. What about you? Oh yeah, I loved it. I I probably wouldn't have put the virgin birth in with the resurrection yeah. or whatever, but man, I what what I wrote about that uh, in that blog was just it was refreshing refreshing to 
because we're we're also anxious right now about not including everyone that we honestly, um, in the words of Jeff Childers, a member of the church, there friend is. of the show, um, we have to be careful of the danger of inviting people to belong to something that's not worth belonging hmm. to. That is like with you know wide open, anybody can. So I think you and you and Ann didn't like the Greenpeace no. metaphor because he's bored or whatever. But I like that metaphor. I thought it worked. I, I, th- I think I do. I, I get the idea that there are like if you don't buy into certain things and you can't be a, a part of Greenpeace. Like I, I get the metaphor. I think it's it's fitting. Um, People say like the board thing. Like okay, if just a member. But have you ever met a member of Greenpeace? Because. I'm pretty sure that's not just the board's position. I think that you know people in, in Greenpeace really care about that. Yeah. And you, okay, here's one line. You had one line from your blog that said total inclusion is impossible, and mm-hmm. like that's a pretty uh, like that's a very realistic take that total inclusion is impossible. Uh, I think there is a fear of bait and switch. Like you, yeah, yeah, everyone's welcome here, but then eventually we say. Yeah, but you're going to have to change something down the road. Um, and so that, mm-hmm. I, on the one hand, I get total inclusion is impossible. But I know I've heard you say that if it's not, or, or maybe I've just said it and I think you should say it too, is that if it's not good news everywhere, it's not good news. And like the message of the gospel should ideally be fully inclusive. Yep, yep. So you should, you should um, have a podcast with the person who wrote Endangered Gospel. I can't remember the author's name right now, but it's a great book. But one of the things he says is, like, the church is the only institution that exists for the people that don't belong yeah. to her. How does that go about happening? Um, it doesn't necessarily go about happening by saying everyone's welcome to do and be whatever they want to be here. It actually creates a special kind of community to show the world what God is like. And it's not for everyone. Um, but in another sense, it is for mm-hmm. everyone. I mean, even the people who don't believe can't bring themselves to believe in some, you know, basic tenets of the Christian faith could try out the life in the community. Um, and, and then even if that doesn't work for them, then they can, on the outside, say, I, I would hope that our churches would be the kind of place where people laying down their lives for one another, sacrificing for one another, just radical kind of diversity, crossing all other kind of like allegiances that people on the outside, even if they couldn't believe the things that we believe that make us do those things for one another, would say, "I wish I could." Yeah. And so, it, you know, and so that argument seems to be like that the, the, the way of life is so compelling um, that that people are being charitable, that they're being good neighbors, that they're they're offering love and hospitality to people, uh, even when they're di- like that's that seems to be what I hear you saying. It's more. Um, um, like orthopraxy, like the right way to live, and that would be what is attractive to other people. Yeah. Okay. Yes. What I think ends critique is, and this, and I can just step out of ends critique and say my critique at this point is that orthopraxy, like the the, the way of life, the gospel life, should be attractive. Um, and what my concern is is when we put too many things up as intellectual barriers that make the gospel offensive in ways that the gospel isn't supposed to be offensive. Like, I, I do believe the sure. way of Jesus is offensive. Like, loving your enemies, that's offensive. Um, 
confession yeah. is offensive. Like those things are offensive. Putting up other ideological uh, tenets that people have to ascribe to as that being the offense, I, I think is not really what the true offense of the gospel is. Not like the creeds. Yeah, I mean, that's the... Like I said to, to ends, like our tradition doesn't have a whole lot of love for the for the creeds. Like we said, the Bible is the only creed, and so mm-hmm. if the Bible is your only creed, like virgin birth, which I personally ascribe to, but it's not yeah. a big deal in terms of to Paul, it's not a big deal to you only get two of the gospels yeah. to even mention it, uh, and Jesus never references it afterwards. Like they don't talk about it in the book of Acts. Yeah. Like it, it's not according to the Bible, the virgin birth did happen, but it's not elevated to being anywhere near first importance, which it seems like it's gotten that because of the creeds. Well, and that, that article came out at Christmas time. I mean, so part of the reason oh, yeah, it yeah. was, you know, it's not like he's just randomly picking the, and Jesus walked on water. But 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 um, a lot of people put like virgin that. birth up there, don't they? Yeah, maybe. maybe. And, and I wouldn't doubt that maybe Keller would, but, you know, I think one of the things coming from our tradition um, without having creeds, it actually makes you appreciate the creeds more. Because hmm. you see, after a couple of hundred years of like, because the creeds were initially created to create unity within mm-hmm. diversity. Um, to be able to say, okay, like, we we don't have to agree on so much, but these are the things that, that are central tenets and whatnot. And without mm-hmm. that, I mean, I think you and I have seen, maybe me, maybe I've seen more and you've heard of but the, you know, we we split over whether you can have a kitchen in the yeah, church yeah. building, or and that's the, like that's the cancer in our tradition where it is like part of the idea of that we're going to restore the early church is the idea that we're going to fully get it right and everyone else is going to be wrong, and so like there is a built-in hubris to that mentality which can be very divisive. Okay, but if we're gonna, if you and I were to come up with our own creed, we would put resurrection in there, right? Don't you think? Everything yeah, so first right. first importance that Jesus literally died, was buried, was resurrected, uh, and, and that's the centerpiece of it. So I'm out at, at Tripp's thing, and I've got this podcast that I'll post next week with a guy named John Cobb, who is uh, like Tripp Fuller's Lord and Savior. And he wanted me to like, <laughs> okay, you do like the, I don't know anything about... Um, process theology, which is Cobb's thing. And so like do an intro to process theology. And I was like, okay, well, I don't really know a whole lot about him. He goes, that's perfect. Just ask a whole bunch of questions. Well, I didn't even realize that he was a, um, Jesus wasn't fully divine and the resurrection wasn't literal um, until I got in the middle of the interview, um, which uh, w- which will be a fun thing for you all to listen to. Huh? No, I made a joke about how I didn't like John's gospel because, you know, like he seems like a freshman, like philosophy major in John's gospel more. Uh, And he's like, yeah, I don't like him either. Well, I was kind of like, I said that tongue in cheek. I really do like John's gospel. He's like, I don't like it probably for other reasons. I'm like, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're in a different boat here on that. But, but with, with that idea, like that means me and John Cobb have to say, um, this is a central thing that we disagree on, and so we can't have fellowship together like we're on different teams. Is that where you'd want to go and say, um, here's a line, Greenpeace says you have to believe this, church says you have to believe this, therefore you don't, so we're going to have to divide, and you know I can't be friends with Trip Fuller if he's going to follow John Cobb. Uh, um, well, you need all the friends you can get, first off, so I, I don't think I would 
push that on you. But I do think, you know, Paul's thing about if the resurrection didn't happen, we'd be pitied above all people. Um, there, there is a, I mean, I, I think everything hinges on whether God raised Jesus mm-hmm. from the dead. And um, so I, I understand, you know, like the, I, I understand kind of Charles Taylor's A Secular Age, like nobody's coming at this impassively. Mm-hmm. Nobody's coming at this with a. Um, we we have been enchanted with a, a way of looking at life that there is no enchantments, yep. and so we read the Bible, we read all that, and so it's not just resurrection for me in the sense of like why couldn't that mm-hmm. be possible? I mean, why would God not have raised Jesus yeah. from the dead? Um, so I, you know, I, I, if I speak, no, if I could jump in, I think the reason we would say that is. Well, it's really hard for me to believe that that literally happened. And if I take that off the table, then I don't have to make as big of a leap to have faith. I, if I'm guessing, that's where people are coming. Like that, that makes it more palatable to me. For I can buy into Jesus being a really good teacher and a charismatic figure that that presents this great way of life. But if I have to be, believe in resurrection, then that's just too weird for me. And if you get that out, then I'm on board easier. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I think we've seen that that's happened. Um, a lot. The thing is, the resurrection was the was the um, it was the the conservatives who didn't like the resurrection in the first century, right? Yeah. The Sadducees. Because yeah. you take the resurrection and you take any a sense of judgment of, of this is the kind of God who is going to judge your both your words and your deeds, and um, that was the thing that was the impetus for us to have any kind of attraction to want to be a part of church in the first place. So I think it's really mm-hmm. central. But I will say this, in the Gospel of John, and this is the blog that comes out this coming Wednesday for Scott, it ends with Thomas not believing in the resurrection. And, you know, the other disciples, other people have told him, no, like, we've, we've seen Jesus raised from the dead. And he just is basically calling him a liar. And um, it, then it says a week later, while Thomas was still with them. And so the early, the very first Christian community centered around the resurrection. I mean, that, that was a obviously a thing that sparked them. And, and John's gospel is all about who's in and who's out. But at the end, Thomas, they're patient yeah. with him. They're, he's still there. He's got all his doubts. And how, how do you then rectify that with, okay, resurrection is the line. You've got to cross it. Thomas hasn't crossed the line, but he's still belonging. You know, I think it would be more come and see versus come and study. Mm. Like the, we're so, you know, going to fix this with our minds. We're, um, and I, I think there are communities of rec- resurrection where things are happening that God is at work in. And, and that just being with them and doubt, in the words of Keller, doubt your doubts. Like don't don't forget that you have, faith assumptions that are really large that um, you're you're probably blind to and if you could open open up to those being open for doubt as well then I think it's a different kind of experience being in a, yeah. a faith community. I, I think the major issue is letting there be room for doubters inside the church because I, my experience is most of the people who are having 
the skepticism and the doubts are not people outside of the community, but people who grew up in the community and now are having mm-hmm. to process stuff that they've just always been told their entire life. And it, it becomes far less probable and realistic to them. And it's not people who are being needing to be converted to Christianity. It's people who need to not be deconverted from Christianity. And I'm sure there's lots of names and faces that are you're thinking of yeah. right now. Yeah. And me too. I mean, the, so one, that's one of the things I appreciate about, appreciate about Keller's ministry. Um, not that anybody's above criticism, because it doesn't bother me that people are, like Pete said, people attack Rob Bell and, and Richard Rohr, and they have great ministry stuff going on too. But the thing I appreciate about Keller is that he's always kind of made space yeah. for that. So I think there's like a weekly, after he preaches a lot on Sundays, there's like an hour where doubters and skeptics can just ask questions. Awesome. That's it really is, right? And and so I, I think he's earned a lot of credibility with um, um with a lot of Manhattan people because he's not afraid of you like poking holes in that. He doesn't want you to hide your questions or whatever. He actually says, I think I've read him say, um, it makes it makes the people who are there hearing those doubts and questions who have never had those questions, it makes their faith yeah. stronger. Because they can practice doubting in community. That's what it is. It's yeah. it's in community. Um, mm-hmm. My uh, my middle daughter Adeline has gotten in this practice of like every night after like the bedtime ritual, she wants to stand up and like jump off her bed and let me catch her like for like a a jump hug is what she calls it. And um, <laughs> so like that that that's that's actually. <laughs> A jump hug. On yeah, the I think people. that's what it was that really made them not like me. Is that because she jumped over one of them and uh, good I might and just fell down. But um, I love the idea. Like that's in a lot of ways what spiritual practices are. Like they're getting you to practice making a big leap and making you jump. And if you don't move to that sort of practice of okay, I'm going to do things that help get me to get used to making that leap of faith, then you're never going to have any faith to rely on. Like faith is the song that has to be sung. Otherwise the, like your soul goes empty. And I, like, I do think that is a fair criticism of, well, everyone just doubt and let's keep doubting and keep doubting as though it's uh, like a badge of honor. When I think doubts need to be sustained with practices that, that cultivate deep faith to go alongside of your skepticism. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think that's a, a good word for people who are, Going through doubt, which I think you and I both have yeah. seasons where we doubt. If, you know, mm-hmm. if God is good. I would, yeah. Friends I'm going to ignore that. Um, I, I think when I started the podcast, I had more doubt, and it, it plagued mm-hmm. it plagued my soul more than it does now. And a lot of ways, I think the reason I started the podcast is because I wanted to have a chance to talk to people who could help articulate a faith that made sense to me. And. No. I think that was probably a bigger struggle for me a couple of years ago than it was than it is um, right now. But yeah, I, I think there needs to be room for everyone to be able to do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about the uh, the one that came out just uh, most recently um, with our friend from Nat Geo, James Younger, and then also Barry podcast, Taylor. Man, I love both parts. Okay, of that Barry podcast. Taylor has the coolest voice ever. Is that yeah, the guy the with the That was the second guy. Okay, so I wish I would have heard. We you want to talk about whatever you want to talk about. 
I wish I would have heard what he um, said before I did the presentation to the elders and the church about <laughs> adding an island because mm-hmm. it was so good. I mean, and it was it was hard to describe. Like, come on, y'all, we this will be helpful. We'll still you know what and um, because. Part of our weird tradition. I, I regret that one as soon as I that one got out there, but whatever. I do love that our people sing. I mean, I think that's a really yeah. powerful thing. And the I don't ever want to lose us being like a, a really, that's a practice that we all do. And if the church doesn't show up, the church doesn't happen. I, I was at uh, your college in Nebraska last week, and they do just uh, the stuff that I was a part of was just acapella. And it was really, really special. Like it was really neat for me uh, to hear all the college students. Like they seemed like they were really engaging and it's a really beautiful thing that like that participation that comes in acapella singing in ways that you, you don't always get uh, in other, in other styles of, of music. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the, one of the great strengths of, of that. See, see, I love church of Christ. See, I love church of Christ. I said that nice thing about it. Yeah, you you did. So yeah, you should be covered now. <laughs> West Over Hills, if you're looking for a new preacher after this, <laughs> let me know. Friends, I can give you their names that don't think it's weird. <laughs> so uh, one of the things I was thinking about, what he said was uh, Christian music is often used as propaganda. That is spot on, right? That's That's like the one beef that... I have with like the Christian subculture is it, it can't appreciate art without it being used towards another end than beauty, which I think all beauty points back to God. Yeah. yeah. Um, just going to let that land there. No, I thought it was, I thought it was good. I think, okay. I think your beauty points back to God too. Thank you. Um, and then the other thing that I thought of was the way he said that, in churches often. I don't know Barry Taylor's background. Is he like a guy who goes to church often? He he worked at a church. Um, honestly, I Googled him afterwards when I was looking for a picture to put on my uh, website of him. And uh, I, I think he was a pastor at some church in, in the LA area. And um, he's not doing that anymore. So, Well, I would love for him to come like have, have a weekend thing with pastors. Because that w- I think that would be fascinating to learn from him. Like, what does it look like when it's not used to soften people up for the more important part? The yeah. sermon. I mean, because Ian Cron, when when he came to Highland, he did this thing at the end where I think he's done it several places. But you know, we were entirely a cappella at the time, and it was incredibly powerful. Where he preaches like twenty minutes, and then he teaches us this song, and he sings. He teaches us to sing it and then basically played the congregation like an instrument. Hmm. And it was one of my favorite church experiences I've ever been a part of. Really? He's he's doing an Enneagram conference with Suzanne in May at at our church on Friday, Saturday. Maybe I should get him to stay on a Sunday and and do that. Dude, you totally should. Tell him to do Vinny Santa's spirit. Can he do that on Mother's Day, though? I mean, is that a good Mother's Day sermon? It works anywhere. Yeah, he can he can do okay, it. Okay, you just say this is for you moms and then they'll they'll like it for Mother's Day. Yeah. Yeah. You, okay, let's jump to uh you want to jump to James Younger. Um Okay, so he's a person who would not consider himself affiliated with any religious tradition. And 
he, uh, I think he likes things about religion. Uh, there's certain things that I don't think he can go for. I think he has a scientific background. And I think I heard him in a conversation with Tripp on the Homebrew podcast uh, that was recorded at the event talk about how like he just can't go for some of the more miraculous kind of stuff. And I think I'm about 80% sure that's right. So anyway, the point is he's outside of a Christian tradition. And- but he goes with the, the prime mover, right? Sagan? Because I heard him talking about the prime mover that uh, Aquinas' hmm. stuff on, there's some, a force behind it all. I think that's Aquinas' like foundation for theology, step one, there is a God who created yeah. all this. However, it sounded like he was going there. I don't feel like I can really speak for him with any level of authority. Um, but, so the struggle for me was, so I, I, we watched the second episode of season two, and uh, the story of God was like Nat Geo's highest rated show that they've ever had. And so, of course, they picked up for yeah. season two. And um, w- we're watching this one, and it had um, different participants of different churches speaking at, at different points in the show. And so he's trying to represent in a very fair way their experience. Yeah. And I wonder. Like, I, I get why he would tell the story the way he did, but there's part of me that wants someone who's actually connected to that tradition to tell the story, because I feel like when you're on the outside, there's always going to be a gap in how you communicate the heart and the soul of something. Sure. And I don't think that, that might be unrealistic, but I feel like there's something about you have to be connected to something to really get the essence of something that is like transcendent, like religion. You know, one of the things that I, I thought when I was listening to this, first off, I, I appreciate kind of the heart behind what they're trying to do because I, I do think it builds compassion for other world religions in, in a time that we could really use that. Yeah. But one of the things that I think is just underneath the surface there is a, a certain kind of um, blindness to – there is no possible way to step away from religion. Mm-hmm. Um, which gets back to that David Dart book that I told you you should do a podcast for. Life's too short to pretend you're not religious. Everybody's got a way of uh, a, a kind of major story that they're laying on top of the world. And um, Charles Taylor would say, that philosopher guy, a secular age, would say that their faith is very, they have a very strong faith because they're telling these stories of all the other religions and it's rooted in Christianity mm-hmm. in the Reformation and 500 years of teaching them to be able to step outside of themselves. And, you know, they don't go in and go native, for example. Yeah. And that's, a, that's actually a, a new modern phenomenon that there's some kind of firm footing that they have. Um, they are assuming that they can step outside and not believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, I think that's a myth. There's a myth of neutrality, like, I don't, and I, I'm not saying, like, this is a, a slam on their show, I haven't seen their show, or it sounded like what they were doing is really good work, but, um, the, there's no place to stand that's neutral, no. you know? No. I mean, what do you think about I, that? And that's, I think that's what I'm getting at, like, everyone has a bias that they're going to tell, and if you're an outsider, at, at some point, some of it will leak through, and... Like I'm, so the series that I'm preaching right now is talking about the faith experience of people who've gone through different struggles. We last week we talked about people with mental health illness. Uh, This week we're talking about addiction. Uh, Others talking about grief. And so 
I, like I can't really tell a story about mental health in the same way that someone who's gone through it can. Like I, I feel like the experience of being in that uh, can't be replicated. And I think they have to tell their own story. And so if you're an outsider, you've decided that you don't want to participate in that that story and you don't want to be part of that community. And as neutral as you want to be, I, I sure feel like that would somehow leak in. And I, I guess he comes from a scientific background where you you can have your double blind test and that you can prevent that. Um, and, and he's probably smarter than me. Maybe that is tr- true, but I, I struggle to see that. Uh, he's definitely smarter than you. I mean, that came through in the first 30 seconds, but the thing Punching that up. I, <laughs> that's right. The thing that I would, um, I, I think what would help would be just to name it because we are so blind to the fact that the secular way of being in the world is a is a religion. I think just to name it like and my dominant religion is yeah. that there is no dominant religion, that these are all wish fulfillment. Which by the way, um so you y'all you talk about wish fulfillment often. One of the interesting things y'all were talking about with hell and heaven stuff, one of the interesting things that I think should get people to reconsider Christianity who have written it off as, you know, all these are, are projections of it, is one, the Jewish people for a thousand years had no notion of an afterlife. Mm-hmm. And they still created this community. I mean, oh, yeah, that's it, a good take. I never thought of that. Yeah. yeah. And so something happened that created them as a community and got them to live a certain way. So it's not wish fulfillment in that sense from the very beginning. And the second thing is Bonhoeffer's point about Jesus on the cross is the exact opposite of religion. Nobody projects onto God that. Yeah. And so Jesus' cro- the, the moment of the cross is the moment of the highest irreligion. Okay, two things to that. Could you say that the heaven of Judaism was the Exodus? And that that obviously is the, the defining story of who God is in Judaism, right? The Exodus. Oh yeah. And so, and so maybe that the wish fulfillment would be something about that story. Um, and the thing about, okay. So the thing about Jesus, uh, is, you know, Joseph Campbell's, uh, monomyth stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't fit in any religious paradigm, but Joseph Smith says it fits in like right in the heart of story paradigm. Like that's, that's how story works is you have to have that sort of, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so I would go Chesterton's Everlasting Man Shocker. on that, which is, yep, um, basically that the, there's a reason God has hardwired this yeah. into the DNA. But, you know, we want we want somebody who, uh, but we don't want a God like that. Hmm. Like, there's not, I mean, that's a good story, but for a brief instant, God was an atheist. Yeah, I mean we don't we don't realize just how irreligious the moment of the cross was. He dies naked, alone, ashamed, and abandoned. Yeah, and uh, he, he's killed by the very best people, the very best government that had ever existed, most holy people of the best. You know, the best of the best did this to Jesus, mm-hmm. and. Now we wear the cross as a necklace, and we forget that it is the most irreligious moment. And so 
Bonhoeffer's thing is great pushback to the kind of Freud wish fulfillment thing because he says Jesus is leading us into the moment of... Yeah. I agree. And I think that's crucified God stuff is, I think, where you find... Yeah, I think that's the way to go. I mean, you to move away from trying to get wish fulfillment to say that, no, God steps into suffering with us, and that's our story. Uh, it doesn't give a solution, but it gives us presence. So, yeah, I'm on board with that. Well, that like about the the all these different world religions, um, I I think building compassion, understanding each other, but this is the distinctive thing of Christianity. It's very irreligious in lots yeah. of ways. And wish fulfillment, I don't, I don't think it holds up against the yeah. cross. Okay, so like we're saying about the show on Nat Geo, uh, which we started with in this section, um, it's a great show. It's on TV now. Thanks, Jung- James Younger, for talking to me. I, I, here's, here's my last thing about it. We only cr- critique the way they tell our story. When I heard them telling other people's story, I thought, oh, wow, thank you so much for enlightening me oh, on someone else. Because we know our, our story much better. Mm-hmm. And even if, they, even if they polled 100 Christian leaders and said, you get to pick who tells a story— uh, 85% of Christian leaders would probably be upset with whoever told our version of the story. Sure. Who would you, if you had to pick one person to tell the story, who would it be? It's easier for me to pick the one person I would not to. Um, and I was just hoping the whole time it didn't turn that in the podcast. Like, hey, would you like a spot? So, are you, are you done? Uh, I don't know, the Pope Francis. Pope Francis? Over like Tom yeah. Wright? Tom Wright would be money too yeah i mean tom ryan a pope francis just they they seem to yeah i mean uh, both of those things both of those people seem like they could do it well but you know and, and i hope I, I haven't seen the show but an interesting way to take that would instead of being like the elites would be a a peasant yeah. worker in latin america hmm. um that is what Richard Jenkins says is the like average Christian these days. Mm. It is white middle class suburban and, Americans. Okay, and here's the thing about Rohr is that he lives like a. I mean, that's a Franciscan vow. Like he lives as the common every everyday person who who lives with the financial struggle, except most of them don't have Bono flying in to, to spend a week with them. Uh, th- but besides yeah. that, it's basically, I mean, that's where he lives. I mean, it's a very simple, anyway. So, good call. Um, all right. Cancer is funny. Jason Shelley, your, your fellow uh, McKnightian, who, uh, who's over on the Jesus Creed blog. Do you guys have like a group text message where you guys all... <laughs> No, I, I I only know him through his writing, and I, I always liked his yeah. writing. What I found to be the best part of my experience hearing Jason talk is like there is this like sober realism that's not doused in like skepticism or or mm-hmm. or like checked out on faith, but like there's like this deep faith in the midst of like deep suffering and. You know, mm-hmm. it's his cancer diagnosis is not like a really positive one, and. I, I hope that I would handle uh, a struggle like that in the same way that he has. Yeah. My favorite part of that podcast was him, and he almost sounded defeated when he said it, so he, I, I, I felt like he meant it, was they robbed me of my cynicism. I love that <laughs> Yeah. They, took my, they robbed me of my cynicism because these people, 
took care of us and you know I I just I think there are moments when the the church shines through and um, when it does it cap it captures your imagination you realize for all the warts there's nothing like her on yeah. earth uh, I love that yeah. I mean, for a Methodist, he was really good. <laughs> no, that's good. He's I. He just posted something that uh, Judd Apatow was uh, was reading his book and said somehow he found out that Judd Apatow said, "Oh yeah, he's really funny," which is pretty amazing. Did Judd Apatow ever read wow. any of your um, books? There's no way of knowing. There's no real way of knowing. Uh, you know, either yes or no. Uh, you don't know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Spielberg's reading it and thinking, "How can we turn of all the copies sold? I'm sure some some of them got their of way all to... the the tens of copies that were sold. I mean, you just, <laughs> I mean, technically, you could track them down probably um, with <laughs> with a few text messages, but it's who's to who's to say? Um, <laughs> okay, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk spiral da- dynamics real fast. So. It was like an intro, welcome to Spiral Dynamics. I just got a text from uh, one of our mutual friends, Eric, um, who said, hey, uh, Eric Robinson, you know him from the Hills? Um, yeah. Uh, he's like, yeah, I listened to it three times, and I, I still don't have a, like a, a full grasp on Spiral Dynamics. And yeah. yeah, I get that. Like it's, We're trying to do like an intro to something that probably should take a long time and probably... It, yeah, I, I would do it like a follow-up podcast with him to unpack I think it some so. more. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I loved his language that just, so my, my fear of spiral dynamics is like, okay, we start like base level and then we get a little bit better and then we get to junior high and high school and then college and doctoral level. And then we like, we finally arrived and, and that was my fear of it, which has like elitism just like built into it. Like we're better than everyone else. But what he was saying is that we have every level inside of us that comes out in different moments. And I think that understanding has alleviated a lot of my fears of spiral dynamics. Huh. Yeah, I, I still think in theory that might work, but in practice, you know, the first time I ever heard about spiral dynamics was when we spent that time with Roar. And um, it, it, the way he was describing it, I was like, oh, yeah, I could totally mean green. I, I know some mean greens. Yeah. I remember him, he went off on a little tangent there about mean greens while, while we were talking to him, but. The, the my concern is that that it it becomes a way to feel self righteous and and yeah. lead, and that and maybe maybe the tool is really helpful, but it still feels like the human heart just reaches for elitism mm-hmm. every different way yeah. it can. The the enneagram. How long did it take you knowing that instrument to finally think you actually could use it in a helpful way? Um. It was until we, I, I had read like Roar's book on the Enneagram and that was somewhat helpful. But when our whole staff went through it with Suzanne and my wife yep. came, I mean, that was, that was the thing that helped me the most. And I see the similarities between Spiral Dynamics and Enneagram. My problem with it, and I don't want to out the person who first pointed this criticism out to me because in, in, progressive Christian circles, it seems like Enneagram and Spiral Dynamics are like the <laughs> shibboleth gatekeepers about, what number are you? Wait, you don't know? You don't believe? Yeah. 
but the, the both the Enneagram and the Spiral Dynamics, I think, probably could be useful tools. But they there's a meta narrative that's laid over them that I don't even think it's necessary to buy into. But like, I, I don't I don't I don't necessarily believe the meta narrative laid over this. And by the way. I thought we were supposed to be like cynical of meta narratives, but now we just seem to buy them as long as it's not a dominant world religion with any kind of ancient tradition yeah. or whatever. You yeah. know what I'm saying? No. I, when I asked you about uh, the Enneagram, it, it took me a while personally. Thanks for asking me back. Um, to, f- to feel like I really had any grasp on using it. And I feel like I'm in the, the beginning stage of the spiral dynamics. Uh, quest before okay. I and so I don't feel like I'm really at a place to, to you noble huh you noble knight <laughs> you come off on a quest <laughs> oh, <is there> any, <laughs> speaking of elitism go on us about this quest that you're on <laughs> oh I hate you I hate you Trip, hey, Trip by doesn't the way, talk to me this way yeah Trip hasn't had to talk to you this much <laughs> next he'll be whiskey if he does <laughs> <laughs> so Leslie and I were watching The Office at at night and um, trying to enneagram Ooh, the workers. Who do you think Michael Scott? What number do you think Michael Scott is? Wow. Um, so Toby's a six. Um, Angel's a one. Hmm? Angel's yeah, a one. Sure. Um, He's a seven. So help me make some jokes oh, here. Let's not talk about sevens that way. We don't like. Yeah. Oh, he's totally a seven. He's totally yeah, a seven. Yeah. Yeah. And that means I feel so bad for your staff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the, uh, hmm. I'm I'm going to keep the story to myself right now. Um, so happy. are you going to put the podcast online? Are you, no, you're saying. You have a story to tell. Okay, I thought you were... No, gonna, I had a... Yeah. I thought you were going to hide this under no, a bushel. No, 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 We're just... Anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like uh, my coworkers... Um, but, okay, but my coworkers say that they don't think I'm a seven. They think I'm a one. They what? do. So, you know, sevens like, go to one in stress. Sevens go to one in hell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because like I'm super like obsessively routine and stuff, and um, mm-hmm. very rigid uh, in my work life. But uh, you know, yeah. So uh, thanks for the counseling session. I appreciate that. There's so much more to. What if we did like uh, counseling by almost democracy? Just like call in with what you think's <laughs> wrong with Luke. Email in. What's his problem? So, okay, spiral dynamics, it seems to me, would be helpful in the same way that when I write a sermon, um, I I will try to think of like four or five different people that represent yeah. groups. You know what I mean? And, and so you're trying to communicate to all those different levels. Like, for example, addressing the Trump refugee thing, um, it seems like the blue category would be one that mm-hmm. would be very much for yeah. what Trump's ban on mm-hmm. refugees from certain con- countries or did you Okay, speaking of that, did you think of saying anything about that on Sunday? 
Um, I did say something about that on Sunday. And we had the, uh, this was just kind of a Holy Spirit-led miracle. So we do prayers of the people, and this particular Sunday was prayers of the nation. We do that once a month. And the director of the IRC in Abilene goes to Highland, and she was the one who was doing the prayers of the nation. So she stands up after it, and and without getting political or anything, she goes, uh, tomorrow morning I've got to go into the office and call five refugee families and tell them that the rest of their family that they've been very concerned about their safety aren't going to be able to come. And so, I mean, it was, um, it was what, that's what she said before she said, okay, and then I'm going to pray this prayer that somebody had prayed for the refugees. Yep. So, yeah. Did you do something? We've got a sermon entirely dedicated to uh, refugees in four weeks. And so, I mean, I, I I made an, uh, a, a subtle nuance, um, but I, I didn't go into it specifically because I had a whole sermon dedicated to it coming up in a couple of weeks. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I struggle with that because I don't, I, like now I feel like th- this sermon's been planned for two or three months and we've been working on it uh, for that long before, uh, I think probably even before the inauguration uh, or before the election day. Um, and now I feel like it's far more politicized, and I feel like I need to get um, people. But we did on Ruth together. Uh, you addressed refugees. Yeah, yeah. We talked too, about right? and I, uh, the bumper video was uh, my friend Paul's work that he did with Syrian refugees, and um, so yeah, we've been. I mean, we've we've talked about it, um, but I, I just feel now that like it's more politicized. And if you you say I care about refugees, that means you can be. Uh, ensconced in the liberal camp, and you're you're on the left, yeah. and whatever. Yeah, you know, one of the great things that happened and happened this Sunday. Somebody told me came up to me yesterday and told me after church that um, someone who was conservative and and you would probably in Spiral Dynamics Lake, which say blue, um, came up to this other guy who in whatever was green or whatever. Um, so left and right and basically said um, I, I want to apologize because I have assumed some bad things to you because the sermon was about mm-hmm. church and loving loving each other is how we're going to show the world what God is like and I said I think some of us in this room need to have hard conversations with each other we need to forgive one another we need to reconcile with each other because that's what that's who Jesus is calling us to be and I do think when churches are doing that when you don't have a church that's just 30 different echo chambers in their own Bible classes and small groups. There's some really beautiful stuff that happens that can actually contribute to the whole society. Yeah. Because Facebook and, you know, all, all the firing off on social media, while it might have some, it might have some ability to initiate yeah. some momentum in movements, really just splinters yeah, us. It just divides us. Yeah, you're right. I I got, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but uh, James K.A. Smith posted something about um, uh, the left um, now is like just modern day Marcionites uh, wanting to get rid of the Old Testament or something. And I think there was some critique of, 
as I understood it to be like the Christocentric reading, like everything starts with Jesus, and the best way to understand everything is the center is the gospel and Jesus, the story of Jesus, and you read everything else out of that. That was a critique of Yeah, that. yeah, I, that's how I understood it. Like, okay. the, there's a canon within... Anyway, uh, it's 140 characters, so to say exactly what it was, uh, it's yeah. not fair to him or anyone else, but I, there was a back and forth with him and Brian Zond, um, and it, that tweet just really bothered me, and I, I really... I, I like following James K. Smith, and I tweeted something about, "Hey, you know, this is why this is what's wrong with Twitter because it just creates divisions between people." And I, I don't know if I really handled it super well. It was late at night on a Sunday, and tweeting at ten o'clock on Sunday—never a good idea. No kidding, preachers <laughs> do not need to have social media on yeah. Sundays. Um, but there I was, just and what else is wrong <laughs> I was trumping world? it up on Twitter, and uh, so I got in a back and forth with him, but. Um, yeah, I, that's just what Twitter do, like. You, it, it's great to start a conversation, but it ultimately destroys relationships. And I think the more you can get off that, that's that's better. Um, anyway, speaking of getting off conversations and moving on with our life, we're done talking now. I gotta go. Thank yep. goodness. Yep, Jonathan. Uh, so we got the next. Cobb interview, and I I got a book in that uh, your buddy David Dark was a, a contributor to, and uh, so he's oh. uh, I might reach out to him. Have you read that book, Destroyer of the Gods? Oh yeah, Is that his name? yeah. I I was started reading. It, I thought eh, this might be a good podcast book. Um, yeah. Oh, I I actually have it right here by me, and I'm saving it for the next series that I. Uh, I've got a stack of books set aside for the oh, fall series. Oh, that, that's so. what those coloring books are in the back that I see? Cool. Right. Yeah, That's right. So I, I don't have those set up yet, but I'll probably reach out to them and see what we can do. Well, Jonathan, your blog comes out uh, on the old Wednesday. On, on the old, does. Um, what does. are you going to say? You say uh, Keller's your Lord and Savior, or he's wrong this time? Or who was the other option? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, the T-minus Calvinism date is getting pretty close. So this could be the day that you officially make the declaration. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the trajectory yep. you see me yep. on. Yep. Yep. All right, man. Yep. See you, Jonathan. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.